help with my message today, so I want little people to volunteer. Let's have all the little people stand up. No, I don't mean like if you're shorter than other people. If you're young, if you're small, if you're age 11 and under, stand up right now. If you're age 11 and under, or if you're 12 and you want to get involved, that's cool too. 11 and under, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Come on, come on, we don't have all day here, people. All right, now come down front, right over here. Sit right over here. Come on, I want you two guys over here. Come on, right here. Come on, let's hurry. Come on, we got things to do. I haven't opened my presents yet. Let's roll. Come on. Right over there. Come on. Have a seat right there. Yes, we want to put our best foot forward. It's Christmas, you know. Yeah. I feel like Billy Graham. Everyone's coming forward. Yes. Now if the big people would catch on to this. Ah, yeah, we'd be going. Yes. Yes. All right. Hi, Bresnos. Welcome to church. Let's see you there. I decided I would wear my lovely scarf. Don't be jealous. This is so beautiful. Crunch right in. Crunch in. Make room for everybody. Crunch together. Crunch together. Crunch, crunch. Come on. Make room for everybody. Spread out. Crunch. We can do this. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, get them in there. It's okay. Here. There, right here. There's a step right there. 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 All right. What do you guys think of my lovely scarf? You, I like yours. Yours is pretty sharp. Yeah, very sharp. Is it warm? Yeah, that's what it's all about. You guys like this? Huh? Anything? You like my scarf? You like it? It's a tartan plaid. It's very Scottish, isn't it? It must be a clan, a clan scarf. Did you know what that is? Ask your mother. She'll explain that to you. I like my scarf. Okay. How many of you want to guess? Would you like to get a scarf like this for Christmas? No. 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 Why not? My, <laughs> don't seriously think my scarf is ugly. This is a beautiful scarf. Are you serious with me right now? Come on. I've been proud of this scarf for a long time. This was a gift. I got this gift from a pretty girl. Yeah, it's true. I mean, she gave it to me. I didn't, I didn't take it from her. She gave it to me. She wanted me to have it. And she, she gave it to me for Christmas. How old do you think this scarf is? Ten years. Ten years? That would be a pretty old scarf. Yeah. How old do you think? What? 90 years. 90 years. Uh, how many of you, anybody else want to guess how old do we have? 10, we have 90. Year and a half. Four years. How many of you are, no, not two days. How many of you guys are 25 years old? Oh, that's true. That's true because I said you have to be an 11 or under to come up here. So you can't be 25 and be up here unless you cheated and you look really, really young. My scarf is 25 years old. I've taken very good care of it, haven't I? Have any Big Mac sauce on it or anything? Isn't that nice? So sometimes, you know, if you go home and you open up your Christmas presents and you have something to wear, don't be sad. You might still have it for 25 years. And my scarf still fits me. Isn't that pretty cool? It's like, you want gifts that last a long, long time, don't you? So you guys are probably, you're probably looking forward to getting some gifts, or maybe you already opened some gifts this morning, or maybe you're looking forward to giving gifts, because Christmas is a giving time. Everybody likes to give stuff. People have given me the neatest gifts. I've, I've, I have framed poems. I have candles. I have a lot of money. People gave me a bunch of money. That made me very happy. I was like, Merry Christmas to me. That was really fun. 
Yeah, that was pretty fun. That was fun, yeah. But the best gift of all, well, listen, I remember when I was a kid, I was eight. How many of you are eight? Raise your hand if you're eight years old. Eight, eight-year-olds? All eight-year-olds, raise your hand. Thank you very much. Okay, when I was eight years old, it was uh, Christmas 1966. 19, you didn't even know there was a 1966, but there was. It was a long time ago. And Christmas of 1966, my dad said, hey, guess what? We're going to go away on Christmas. And I said, where are we going to go? And he said, we're going to go to Midland. I'm like, where's that? He goes, it's in the middle of the state. And we go, we lived in Grand Rapids, which was a long way from Midland. I'm like, we're not going to see Grandma on Christmas? No, we're not going to go to Grandma's on Christmas. I'm like, What? What? He said, Christmas is on a Sunday this year. And I'm like, okay. He says, so we're going to preach at a church in Midland. It's a little tiny church. It's out in the country. It's called Highway Byway Baptist Church, which I thought was kind of a funny name for a church, but that was the name of the church, was Highway Byway Baptist Church. Oliver, Oliver, have you ever heard of a name, Highway Byway Baptist Church ever in your life? Yeah, have you? Yeah, except when I told you, yeah. So we go to this church. We drive to this church. It's a little brick church in the country. It's Christmas Day, it's cold. It's very, very cold. It's lots colder than today. So we go inside and my dad preaches. And you know what my dad says? He tells everybody, you need to get saved. That's what good pastors say. You need to get saved. And then, see if you can, see if you can get this. And then after that he said, and then after you get saved, you need to... <laughs> you, what do you do after you get saved? You get, yeah, you believe. And then after you get saved... You get baptized. Yeah. And he said, I, my dad said, he was preaching, he says, there are probably people here today who have never been baptized yet. And, 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 and he gave an invitation at the end for people to get saved and other people to get baptized. And you know what? People came, a whole bunch of people said, I want to get baptized. And my dad said, well, let's just do it then. We're going to have a service tonight. Can we have a baptism tonight? One of the deacons says, we can do it. And he goes, the only problem is the water might be a little cold. And he said, why is that? Don't you have like a heater in your baptistry? He goes, no. We pipe the baptistry water in from a spring. But we'll do it this afternoon. Now it was so cold. Guess what? I'm eight years old in 1966 on Christmas Day, and there were like 15 people that wanted to be baptized. And I said to my dad, hey, I turned eight on November 3rd, and you said I had to be eight years old. I had to wait until I was eight to get baptized. So can I get baptized now? And my dad said, you can get baptized tonight. So on Christmas Day in 1966 was amazingly cold and outside and it was amazingly cold and wet inside that I, I got baptized it, when baptist people baptize they don't do it with like a little sprinkling a little bit of water in the head or something they put your entire body under the water for a second so it was very cold so i have always remembered that i've always remembered that it was it was shocking and, but you know what it means when you say you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you get saved and then you get baptized, what you're saying it, what is you're telling everybody, I'm going to follow Jesus all my life. I'm going to live for Jesus all my life. Now listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Your toys, I hate to tell you this, they're, they're probably going to break. You know what I mean? You've you got a bike this year, but then in a couple of years you're going to want a car and your bike is going to be like, well, whatever, I'll, I'll just give that to my brother. And then you, you get a car, you know what I'm saying? And it, you, unless you get a scarf like mine, you probably won't have it 25 years from now. 
You know, and if you do have it, you know, it might not be, you might, but it might not. You might not have your stuff that you get today or last night. You know, it's nice and it's fun and we'll have a great time with it, but it'll break and wear out and we'll get tired of it. But Jesus will never break and we'll never get tired of him and he'll never wear out. Never, never. So we're going to live for him all of our lives. Am I right about that? How many of you are going to live for Jesus all of your life? All of your life forever. Let's just say it together. I'm going to live for Jesus for my whole life. Say that. I'm going to live for Jesus for my whole life. And you didn't say it right. So let's do it together. I'm going to live for Jesus my whole life is what we're going to say. Let's all say it together like one big happy chorus. I'm going to live for Jesus my whole life. One more time and then get it nice and loud. I'm going to live for Jesus my whole life. Do you promise? You promise? Good. Hey, I got something for you. I have a little gift. Kyle, come and help me. My grandson, Kyle. Oliver, you can come and help too. Come on, come on up here, guys. Kyle and Oliver are my grandbuddies. And they come to church today. So I asked them to be the ones to help, help you take one of these little, it'll put a sweet taste in your mouth. And you can remember how, much, how sweet Jesus is. You guys want to pass these out? Take them and pass them out to the others first. And then take one yourself. Or take one yourself and then pass them out. Either way. Yeah, it doesn't. Go ahead. Just take the whole box. Take the whole box. See you later, Oliver. And, and let everybody get one. <laughs> <laughs> and when you get your sucker, scurry back to your chair, okay? Now you have to promise to listen to me while I'm talking, even though there will be. This is so sweet. I got a little Christmas present here in the pulpit. Can you see that? If you ask me later, I'll explain what it is. It's a mint. It's probably from a Buckeye friend, I imagine. Sorry about that. Here it is Christmas. I shouldn't be bringing these things up right now. <laughs> we're, glad to, we're glad to be able to be together on Christmas. We're gra- glad for the gift that God has given to us in His Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing more fun in the world than passing along that enthusiasm and that joy and that love to the little people in our life. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, I don't know if I told you this or not. I don't know if I told any of you this or not, but did I tell any of you guys that I went to the Holy Land this year? Did I ever mention that? You know, Lois and I went, we went to the land of Jesus' birth this year. We went to the little town where Jesus grew up. We went to a place where I'm sure if I was a little boy, the age that Jesus was when he was a little boy, that I would have gone there and I would have played in that place. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, it's interesting. I'm glad the Bible has a story of Jesus' birth in it, aren't you? Isn't it a touching story? And then you have this little time, you have quite a nice little story about Jesus' birth. And then you have, after that, you have a little bit of a story, a little bit of a mention of Jesus growing up. Just a little mention. It's just kind of a little tiny flyover of Jesus growing up. And then you have a, over 20 silent years. Okay, you, you can go back now to your seat if you want to, sweetie. Yeah. You ready to go back? She's stunned. She's dazed. She's amazed. Ready to go back to your seat? What do you say? Give me five. (laughs) She likes it here. She may have a future in ministry. Amen? That's awesome. (laughs) You watch the little ones. They will give you a little hint about where they're headed when they're very small. So. (laughs) So we know about Jesus' birth. Just a little bit. We know things about things before Jesus' birth. Way, way back into time, we know about Jesus' predictions of Jesus' birth. 
We, we have little details about Jesus' birth that are all kind of freighted with amazing and wonderful things. And then we just have that little comment about Jesus' boyhood, and then the, the Bible goes silent until Jesus comes in, in ministry. Except for one thing, it says. And you know what that one thing is? It's interesting. It's translated in, in most of our Bibles, it's translated in Mark that he spent that time as a... You guys need to spend more time in church if you don't know this. All we know about Jesus between when he was a boy and when he came into public ministry is that he spent some time as a, according to Mark, as a, as a carpenter. Right. Because that's what the book of Mark says. Is that there's a, a Greek word, and the Greek word there is translated in most of our Bibles, carpenter. But if we're real literal about that, it wouldn't necessarily be just the, just carpenters weren't called that. People that worked with wood. There were very few woodworkers in the Middle East because there wasn't that much wood. Wood was scarce. There's an ancient tradition that Jesus may have been a woodworker who made uh, yoke yokes for uh, plowing and, and plows with wood. This would have been one of the things that they used wood for in the Middle East. But it's probably more likely that what Jesus was, was he was a builder, and most of the building that went on around there is, was with stone. And so the Lord Jesus may have worked with wood, he may have worked with stone, but he built things. That's what he did. That's what, that's what we can kind of garner out of the little sparse reference that we have to Jesus' period of growing up, the silent years of Jesus. Now it's interesting because we visited Jesus' childhood home, which was a little village called Nazareth. At the time of Jesus' birth, or at the time of Jesus' childhood, it would have been about 300 people, just a bit of a village. Most of the people would have known each other. They would have been related. And so Jesus would have gone probably up on the hill. Uh, there was a hill near Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth is in the valley, but there was a hill real close by. Later, Jesus would preach in his hometown. And remember, it didn't go over very well. He was rejected. As a matter of fact, that's a bit of an understatement. Jesus was, was actually, his life was threatened. And he went to this precipice, to this great overlook. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And there's a cliff there, an overlook, a precipice. And in, 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 uh, the tradition is that this is the place. And there's a hint of this in the Scriptures, statement of this in the Scriptures. This is the place where Jesus escaped from the crowd. And that precipice we visited there. What's interesting, though, is that Nazareth wasn't the big deal at the time. There was a city nearby, only a couple of miles away, a much larger city. And this city was in, this was being built. This was a, a city called Sephoris. Hebrews called it Zephora. It means like bird on a hill. It means bird. And the idea was Sephoris. Was Sephoris was a, was a growing city. Josephus, the historian, called uh, Sephoris. He called it the ornament of Galilee because the Greeks were building this city as a tribute to their king, one of Herod's sons. And this, uh, this city was full of all kinds of Hellenistic Greek culture. All kinds of things were being built there. And so we visited the city of Sephoris. We drove there from Nazareth, the city where Jesus, that's the village where Jesus grew up, to Sephoris, the nearest city, the, the big city nearby, the thriving metropolis, the ornament of Galilee. We visited there because there are still great ruins there. There are stones everywhere in Sephora's. 
And you can tell what the stones are. There are, there are beautiful homes. Uh, you can go inside and you can see a, there's a beautiful mosaic on the floor. There's a, a picture, a beautiful picture, a face of a woman they call the Mona Lisa of Galilee. You can still see it from the first century today. And there are stones there. There's a great amphitheater. Every great Greek city had a public meeting place. And every great Greek city had a bath. And every great Greek city had a theater as an outdoor amphitheater. So when we went to Sephora, we visited these places and we sat on the stones, sat on the stones in the amphitheater. Now, if you were a builder growing up in the little burg of Nazareth and you were a young man and you needed work and there was a great, great building project going on your entire life just two miles away, it's not unlikely that you spent a lot of your time working to put the stones in place in this city. And so as we sat there, it occurred to me, the stone that I'm sitting on, I asked our guide, is this stone original, or this is a reconstructed, he said, this is an original, this is a first century stone. And my imagination thought, what if my Savior, the carpenter of Nazareth, the woodwork, the, the, the stone worker of Nazareth, the tecton of Nazareth, what if his very hands touched this very stone where I am? And then my mind went back to things that Jesus said. He often made references. He rarely made references to building with wood in his messages. But he often told stories about building with stone. And there was that incident with Peter whose name was Stone. Remember that? His name was Rock. Conversations are recorded between Jesus and and between Jesus and Peter. And and at one point, in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter says to Jesus, Let's build something. Let's build three monuments. This would have appealed to a stone worker. Jesus could have gone around leaving stone monuments to himself all over the Middle East, and maybe some of them would have survived to this day as the ruins of the Greek civilization survive in ruins. But that's not what he did, and he kind of set Peter's suggestion aside, like, Peter, sometimes you say the right thing, and Peter, sometimes you say just the wrong thing, and that was the wrong thing. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to build things out of stone. Later, not far away, Jesus would say to Peter, you, you, Peter, your name is Rock. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus' idea was not to leave stones and monuments and buildings. Jesus' idea was to create life in people, living stones. People whose testimonies would go on and on throughout the centuries and ring out in heaven forever. His plan was that He would be honored, that He would be loved, that He would be adored, that He would be praised on earth and in heaven forever. And that every tongue and every nation, every tribe and every language would take the name of Jesus and say it in honor. That was His plan. And it worked. That's what He did. And so we adore the baby Jesus We adore the baby Jesus. We love it that Jesus came humbly into this world as a peasant child. We love it that He was attended by shepherds and announced by angels. We love it that they came and they gave Him gifts that He would have enough money that He could escape the terror of Herod. We love it that He came gently into our world to save sinners. We love that. We love it that He was merciful. We love it that He was kind. We love it that He healed people, that He loved people, that He was merciful and patient with people. But that's not the whole story. As a matter of fact, sometimes we treat Jesus like a cute puppy. Oh, when they're small like that, they're just so adorable. They have the attention of the entire family. 
Everyone loves a cute puppy, but then after the puppy grows up, sometimes then it gets put out in the backyard on a chain, and Jesus is chained out in our backyard, and we're, we feed him scraps of our affection a few times a year. He's nothing more than a cute puppy to a lot of people. But if you read your Bible, the whole thing carefully all the way to the end, you find out that Jesus never intended to just be the object of your amusement or sentimental affection, but that he is a future coming king. And there's a picture of Jesus, and we won't spend a long time looking at it. You don't need to because it leaps off the page and into your heart in a book called The Revelation. I'm going to look there for a moment this morning. The Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And this book is all about Jesus Christ and our need for Jesus Christ. And when you get to the end of the book, then you get to read about what Jesus looks like in the end. And it surprised you a little bit. He's not, he's not, it's not puppy love at the end of the book. It's not, it's not warm, kind of harmless, kind of gentle, kind of meek. We're living now between the advents of Christ. There was the first appearing of Christ. He appears as a child, as a baby. And that the Bible predicted that Jesus would eventually, he would live a sinless life and he would suffer. And he would die. He would, he would die on the cross. And he would be buried. He would rise again. And he would ascend to heaven. But that's not the end of the story of Jesus. So Jesus is still alive. And Jesus is going to come back again. And that will be completely different than his first advent. His second advent, he comes in power. He comes in glory. He comes in wrath. He comes with eyes flaming with fire and hair that's white. It's a different picture altogether. He comes to establish his overt, open reign on the earth and every eye will see him. There won't be any doubters then. Now I want to just read so that we get the feel of this because we have in Revelation apocalyptic literature, revelatory literature. It's symbolic literature that talks about the end time and it reveals Christ and it's poetic and it uses signs and symbols. And so even though we won't take time to identify every single sign and every single symbol, if you have a dream and you don't identify every little part of that dream, you still clearly get the big idea lodged in your heart because it's so vivid and it's so dramatic. And that's what you can do with the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can read the first chapter and you see that John who's exiled to the Isle of Patmos he's in a John here is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ a disciple of Jesus and the other disciples many of them had died martyrs deaths by now John had lived a long time but he had been greatly persecuted he's now exiled to the Isle of Patmos and he has a vision of the Lord he's concerned for churches so he's going to write a letter to the churches to encourage the churches these small little communities of Christ followers all over he's going to write a letter to the churches But he's not going to just write a letter out of his own brain or out of his own experience, out of his own heart. Because there on the Isle of Patmos, John has a revelation of Jesus Christ. He has a vision of Jesus Christ that's given to him from God. And the essence of this book is this vision, but you see it there. So he gives it, the first chapter is all we're going to read, but you're going to see that in this first chapter you have the greeting to the church, but the greeting to the church is freighted with some pretty cool things about Jesus that we want to read. And then you have this beginning of this revelation or this vision of Jesus. I just want to read it to you, and here's what I want you to watch for. When I read Revelation chapter 1, here's what I want you to look for. Does Jesus have a future, or does he just have a past? Is it going to be a puppy that we adore, and then we chain him in the backyard, or is he a coming king? What does the Bible say? The Bible that we cherish so much, because it tells us the stories of the nativity of Jesus. 
It's the same, same Bible that tells us what will happen in the end. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and him who was and him who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a pretty lofty beginning of a letter. Who is this talking about? This is no... This is no puppy love affection for God. This is no Jesus that we can keep in a manger and kind of dismiss him. This is the coming king who have dominion over all the earth when the end comes. Verse 7, behold, he's coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That kind of covers everything. You look as far back in the past as you can look, He's there. He's Almighty. You look as far into the future as you can look, He's there. He's Almighty. This God, this who came into human flesh and gently moved into our lives and lived a sinless life and died in atoning death to pay for our sins and was buried and rose again. He's coming back someday. He's coming back someday. And there's some very practical implications for our lives that kind of like, kind of clarifies things if you think about it. Is Jesus, the Jesus that we worship as a baby at Christmas, is He really coming back someday to rule and reign on the earth? Is He the one that's due all of our affection and our allegiance and our loyalty? Is that really true about Him? That would answer a lot of really difficult questions in our lives if that were true. That would kind of tell us how we ought to make our investments. That would kind of tell us what kinds of things we should worry about and what kinds of things we don't need to worry about. Is Jesus really the king who's going to come and set up his reign upon the earth and take his loved ones with him, the saints, to reign with him? If that's really going to be, if that's really true, and if that's really going to happen, that changes everything. That answers a lot of questions. That solves a lot of problems. That comforts a lot of hearts. That puts fear in some of our hearts. Let's keep reading. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His hair, the head of his hair, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Did you ever read this about Jesus before? His feet were like fine brass. 
as if refined in a furnace. His voice was as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, and he's saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And the thing goes on. But what has this told us about Jesus? What is this uh, revelation revealed about Jesus? Well, it's certainly revealed this much. He's a force with which to be reckoned forever. It's not just a little footnote of history. Jesus is not a boring footnote of history. Jesus isn't something that you can kind of go visit and kind of stumble around in the dust of, of a broken culture. He's the living God. He's the reigning King. He's the coming King. The Jesus that we celebrate, that we worship, that we sing about. He so fills our hearts and stirs our hearts. is going to be the King of the earth and heaven someday. And if that's true, and since that's true, that solves a thousand problems. It answers a thousand questions. And it makes it so clear for us how to deal with our worst problems. It's interesting. I wonder how many people get this. I wonder how often I get this. I love Fernando Ortega. I probably have told you that before. Somebody told me one time, Fernando Ortega, the singer, he sounds a lot like James Taylor. I'm like, really? Because I haven't heard James Taylor since about 1971. I had this like teacher in my school. He's like a hippie teacher. He called himself Mr. Todd. That was his first name. He wasn't allowed to go by his first name. So we had everybody call him Mr. Todd, and he was like the essence of cool. And so in his classes, he would introduce pop culture in order to catch your attention. And he introduced us to James Taylor's song, Fire and Rain. And he told us all the story about James Taylor's song, Fire and Rain. And, and the story behind it is really kind of tragic. And you know, here's James Taylor. He's had some troubles in his life. His dad was an alcoholic, a working alcoholic. And it kind of troubled the family. His older brother, Alex, who everybody adored, was also an alcoholic. Alex wouldn't live because of the alcohol. He never could conquer it. James, one of his brothers, Livingston, one of his sisters are, are, are teetotalers because they, they never... But James got in, in, involved in some pro pro problems, was a heroin addict for years, even though he was adored by people and still is today. He lives in Massachusetts. He lives in the Berkshire Mountains. I went to the store. I, I found a, a, a Christmas CD by James Taylor, and I bought it, and I put it in my car a few years ago. And I was driving along, listening to this beautiful, beautiful music, this beautiful Christmas music. And it wasn't just all about sleigh rides and bells and love at Christmas time. There was some heavy Christian theology in those songs that James Taylor was singing. I'm, I'm driving down 23 one Christmassy day. And I'm just loving this music, just listening to this music. And James Taylor sings this beautiful old haunting carol in the bleak midwinter. I've never heard anybody do it better. It sounded like this. I'm not going to sing it for you or play it for you. You can look it up. But here's, here are the words that James Taylor sang. In the bleak winter, icy wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow on snow had fallen, snow on snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter long and long ago, 
Angels and archangels, they had gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim rising in the air. But, but all holy Mary in her maiden bliss worshipped the beloved with a mother's kiss. And then James Taylor sang this, Heaven cannot hold him, nor can earth sustain, for heaven and earth will fall away when he comes to reign. And I thought, James Taylor seems like such a nice guy. I would love to have coffee with him. Maybe he could teach me a few guitar chords. could get his autograph. Seems like such a nice guy. But the thing that just haunted me was, does he get what he just sang? I wonder if he understands the amazing thing he just sang. Heaven cannot hold him, nor can earth sustain for heaven and earth will fall away when he comes to reign. And he concludes it the right way. What then can I give him, empty as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would know my part. What can I give him? I must give him my heart. Well, we don't know if James Taylor understands those words. James Taylor Livingston, his brother Livingston does. We know that for sure. Livingston Taylor, James Taylor's brother, is a devoted Christian with a clear testimony. And we know that James Taylor undoubtedly has heard the gospel many times from his own brother. And we can hope that a person with such a beautiful voice, so loved by our culture, would one day meet the King of Kings and bow at his feet. But it's not a question we can answer. But you can answer the question for yourself. Do you know him like that? Do you realize he's the one that when he comes that heaven and earth will flee away and he will come to reign. You know, if you think about it, if that's true, and it is true, it really solves one of the darkest problems that we have this time of year. Even here in our own church, we've been touched at Christmas time in the saddest way by death, the most painful thing. And last night, Christian brothers and sisters gathered together in Africa and they gathered to worship, and a bomb blew up, and dozens of people were injured or dead. In a Christian gathering, in a Christmas gathering, our brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world, death just haunts all of us. We were out. I was out the other day, and it was a beautiful day. I, I call it, a, I call it a, a holiday Christmas Eve Eve. And we had um, some little New Testaments and some invitations to our Christmas Eve service. And I didn't want to waste them because they're dated. You know, it's like if we don't give them out now, they're just going to be wasted. And it was a beautiful day. And so I decided that I would just go over here to Tella Valley in a little community. It's like a village that's right over here, kind of across the railroad viaduct. It's a community, a little village right over there. And I know many of you have been there. Some of you live there. And I decided that I would just go over there and I would just go door to door and I would just meet our neighbors and I would just talk with people and I would give them a New Testament, and I would ask them to come. It was so sweet. People so appreciated an invitation to a Christmas Eve service. It was a wonderful, beautiful day and a wonderful thing to do. And then somebody told me, there's a man that lives down there, and he could use some help. He's a young man, and his wife, his wife just died, his young wife. So I went down, and I knocked on his door, and he came. He looked so, so very sad. David was his name. And his wife was only 27 years old just a week or two ago, and uh, she passed away tragically and there was their little girl there was a little their little child little children inside and then, so they're getting ready to try to celebrate christmas without that 27 year old mom without their with dave's trying to celebrate christmas without his wife 
Death goes up and down the street and touches everyone eventually. And it's indiscriminate about the timing. It's not going to wait till Christmas is over until we're older. or It just does that. So on Christmas Eve, I save some of these books, these New Testaments and these invitations. I save some for Christmas Eve morning because I, I wanted to see my closest neighbors and I wanted to look them in the face. I wanted to invite them to our services. So I went door to door in our neighborhood. And the people were so sweet to greet me and to thank me for the New Testament. I got to one house. I, I, I didn't know the people before. But they, I always admired their trucks. They got these monster Ford trucks. They're just like the pride of America. This is awesome Ford trucks. And so we always noticed that. They're, they're women, I think, who drive the trucks. It's kind of humorous. It's like huge, big trucks. And it's little women that drive them. I'm like, you want me to show you how to use that thing? You know? So I knock on the door, and a lady comes to the door, and she just looks terrible. She looks sad. I said, Merry Christmas. I, I'm your neighbor. I'm Ken Pierpont. We live down there with the green VW. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know where that is. She says, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, we're not in a very happy mood. We had a tragic thing happen last night. Our 23-year-old nephew up in, up in uh, Ann Arbor, up on, that, up on 14 and 23, you know, where the road is so bad, he got hit by a truck and was killed the night before. I said, well, can I give you this gift? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for praying for me. So I walked next door. Nobody was home. And then I knocked on the next door. There's a lady who lives there who, she and her husband are fastidious. Lois and I admire them so much. They're everything I'm not. They pick up every little scrap of paper and paint everything. Everything is perfect. Lois will always say, look at their house. I always feel a little bit like she's expecting a lot of me. You know, look at that. I'm like, yeah, he's had a lot of time to work on that. He's an old guy. When I'm old, then, you know, maybe I'll have it together like that. So I knock on this door. The lady comes to the door, and I said who I was. And I said, we admire you and your husband so much. And she said, well, she said, this is really hard, but two months ago my husband died. He had colon cancer, and he died. And then she started to cry. And she asked me to come in. She asked me to show in her, she, could you help me? Could you show me in the Bible how I can deal with this pain? It just won't go away. I'm just telling you, that's true with those families and some of your families. And this year, death touched some of our families here. And next year, it will touch more of us. But Jesus Christ will always live, and because He lives, we can live. He's not the puppy that you put out in the backyard when He grows up on a chain and throw Him a few scraps of your affection. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the coming King. He's the reigning King, the King of our hearts. And He takes the sting out of death. And that's probably one of the reasons I love so much the carol that our family likes to sing. When it's Christmas time, it's an old Appalachian carol. And it talks about Jesus coming again. And we want to give it to you as a gift for Christmas before you're dismissed today.